Hi, I'm Elise Dayeem, Director of the Fellows Program at New America. This year, we're thrilled to support 15 new Class of 2022 National Fellows as they develop their ambitious projects. Today, I'm joined by Mike Iglio, a Class of 2022 ASU Future Security Fellow. Mike is a journalist and writer focused on war, terrorism, and national security, as well as probing this divided American moment. He has reported from countries around the world and embedded extensively with local forces to cover the conflicts in Syria, Iraq, and Ukraine. His new project will be focused on the growing influence of U.S. militant groups while exploring the ways that America's post-9-11 wars are fueling both this militancy and the country's wider civic breakdown. So Mike, congratulations again on your acceptance this year. To start, can you tell me a little bit more about the fellowship project that you're hoping to develop this year? Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm working on the topic of militant groups in America. So groups on the right, um, but also the left that, that define themselves on carrying weapons. And also the idea of how our political discourse and, our, and, our, and actually like American society has been affected uh, in ways that we don't quite realize by the, the 20 years of the, of the forever wars. And, and the different ways that I think that those wars have prepared Americans for the prospect of civil violence. So you mentioned that you will be looking at, in, at least in your application, that hopefully that you'll be looking at the rise of political violence and right-wing militancy in the United States. Um, and so I'm curious about if there was a specific event that sparked your interest in this issue. Yeah, I, it was like a day actually that that made me sort of go down the rabbit hole of political violence in America and, and, and these right-wing militant groups. Um, I was in Iraq covering the offensive to retake Mosul from ISIS. Um, and it was like, just like a really ugly assignment. And it was, it happened to be during the 2016 um, presidential election. And I remember uh, one day that like really affected me. I was, I was out documenting mass graves and I came back to my hotel that night and I filed my story and I opened up Twitter and I saw what now feels normal, but then was sort of strange, just how heated the dialogue around the election had, had become and, and that there were all these people who were threatening that they would pick up their guns if, if Trump didn't win, um, that they were willing to start a civil war over it. And it just like, I think just the setting and the day I had, it just, you know, seeing the effects of a real civil war and then, and then looking back at people just imagining that they might actually be willing to start one in a place uh, in my home country that doesn't doesn't have one, just it, it sort of just made me uh, furious, honestly, and 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 also alarmed. And and so I wanted to to try to investigate like who were the people talking like this, but also how seriously should I take it? You know, is there really a potential for serious political violence to happen in America? So taking a step back and just to, you know, get a better sense of your professional career as a writer, you did begin your career as a foreign news correspondent, and you were in um, the Middle East and covering the Arab Spring. So what drew you to report in war zones to begin with and to really put yourself on the front lines of these revolutions? I, I think actually this is part of the reason I'm, I'm so intent on focusing on the the war on terror and the forever wars. And, and it's just that like, I, I that is my generation. I was a junior in high school when the Twin Towers fell in New York. And I, you know, my school was was not, I think like a 30 minute drive from, from Manhattan. And I, I was draft age, um, ser- service age when the Iraq war started. But like a lot of Americans, like, you know, I just, I didn't really 
pay that much attention. Like it was just kind of like background noise. I was kind of like, you know, I root for America, you know, root for the home team. And that's kind of, I thought that was all I felt that was required of me. And as, as I got older, you know, as I graduated college, I, 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 I eventually it just kind of hit me that, you know, these wars were just so disastrous, but also that they were my fault just because, because I think the lack of political engagement is what lets this sort of thing happen and perpetuate. And I, and I just felt like really guilty at a certain point. And I, and I was like, just obsessed with the idea that I needed to, to go out and kind of do the opposite thing and just focus fully on America's overseas engagements. Um, and so I, I started pursuing the path that would let me become a foreign correspondent. And of course, when I finally got out to the region, it was during the Arab Spring, and it still is quite a significant American engagement in, in all the countries that I covered. Um, you know, the Arab Spring led to the civil war in Syria and elsewhere, or, you know, wars in the, in the region. And, and it also led to ISIS and then the war against ISIS. Um, and I, I started to feel like these were all connected to those original wars, you know, that started right after the 9-11 attacks. I mean, as you said, you've had a really interesting experience as a journalist covering civil wars abroad. Um, and now as your work is focused more domestically in the U.S. Uh, with this recent project, I'm wondering if you see any similarities between the rise of political violence in the U.S. and the wars that you've covered abroad. It's, it's not that I, I think, you know, America is going to have a war like the one that I covered in Ukraine or like the ones that I covered in Syria and in Iraq, but it's it's really that there are echoes of those countries that I can hear when I'm in America. And and that is that alone is too much for comfort for me. So so the things that remind me of, of places that, that actually have devolved into serious and sustained civil violence are, are things like just the extreme polarization, the fact that two sides in America operate from their own sets of facts entirely. There, there's really no shared ground on, on even basic understandings of what reality is. And, and also this idea that, that people are, are willing to dismiss the other side as extremists and terrorists. And you, you know how, how prevalent that is and how unquestioning that is on both the left and the right to just say the other side are terrorists, the other side are extremists. Because when you do that, it means that you don't have to listen to them at all. And it, it means that you can, it justifies violence against them. And, and, I, and, I, and I do think that that's one of the, the knock-on effects of the forever wars is that we have become so used to the idea of unbounded conflict that the terrorists could be next door, this constant hunt for terrorists and extremists that I think it just sort of naturally bent inward. And, and now we're, we're focusing that on either side of the political aisle. And, and that, that to me is, is, uh, is really worrisome. And, and it, it does remind me of the way that people speak about one another. In, in countries that are that are really involved in um, in civil violence. Yeah, when you think about process, I'm curious about whether it's for this project or for some of your previous reporting for the Atlantic and the Intercept. You know, often you are required to build rapport with your sources, um, who include right wing militants. And so, I'm curious about how you foster these relationships and how you work to gain their trust, particularly as you try your best to really tell a really informed story. For me, the the way I go about it is just to try to be honest with people. But I think the the persistence over time and, and just being as upfront people as I can helps me establish a relationship and trust with them, even or especially when people know that I'm not coming from a place that that is friendly to their belief system. 
and what they're doing. I mean, that's, I mean, that's really challenging, right? In terms of your own personal kind of safety and your own personal opinion that you consider as well when you're having these conversations. And so I'm wondering about how working under these conditions has affected you, um, but also informed your writing. I, I, th- I think what it, the wars that I covered overseas were obviously, they were real wars and they were, they were much more dangerous to cover. But in a way, this, the, the covering these topics in America where people are more like imagining a war or, or violence or taking, taking part in the early stages of, of political violence, it, it affects me more just because it's my, my home country. Like, and I'm, I cared about the places that I wrote about and I still care about them. But but not in a way that's like my home. Like I, I'm in I'm part of the the arguments. I'm I'm part of the struggle in America. You know, I I write for an American audience because I, I want to take part in this grand argument that we have in the country. And so it, it's it's just a lot heavier on my mind. It's it's harder for me to to detach from it. It's it's hard to like turn my computer off and and not still be at work. I mean, I I walk around my neighborhood. And I see the political signs. I, I drive on the highway and I see the bumper stickers and it all starts to become connected in my head to what I'm covering because it because it, it actually is. And so so that that is the part that that kind of wears on me. And, and honestly, that's part of the reason that I'm overseas again. It's just I, I, I needed a little bit of distance from that. I, I feel like to really process it. Yeah, no, I can certainly understand. I think the work of a journalist is often the hardest, right? Where you're putting yourself into the shoes of someone else. And so with that, you know, you have in the past said that your goal in your reporting and in your research is to treat your subjects with fairness and empathy. And so why do you think this is important, especially now in terms of telling the story of right-wing militancy in the United States to approach the story in that way? I think that first of all, if we want to really diagnose the problem of political violence on the right and understand it, like we, we have to get to know the people that are behind it. Um, and we have to do that in a way that that doesn't just dismiss them and, and write them off. That that actually takes them on their own terms and tries to to understand them as people and as our neighbors, which is what they are. And that that's not to like dismiss the the problem. It, it actually, I think it makes it more pressing. Like it, it should feel more urgent if you if you can see the normalcy in these people. If you can if you can see the the shared humanity, the shared you know the the, the fact that they're your neighbors. I mean the fact that they might otherwise be going about what would be considered a normal American life. I mean, I, I think that should make us understand that there's something very amiss here, not just on the right, but like in the country, like that, that something could be driving people to to this extreme. So that, that's one part of it. And, and I also just think that for anybody who's reading my work, who's on the left side of the political spectrum, like I, I really want them to not forget that the, the, the people on the other side, no matter how much they disagree with them, no matter how bad they might think, you know, uh, they are like, if, if I feel like if I could just get people to recognize their the basic humanity of the person on the other side of it, no matter you know that that it's a step in the right direction, and and it's it, it, it is drawn from my experience covering civil council overseas where you you have to completely dehumanize the other side in order to cross that threshold into civil violence, and and I, I just think the more work we can do pushing back against that, the, the better. That makes sense. Coupled with that, you know, this story is ever changing. Since you even started covering this topic, the 2020 elections happened, the January 6th Capitol riots happened. And so when you're covering this ever-changing narrative, how do you how do you kind of address that 
constant involving shifts in the in the story. I, I try to stay connected to my sources. And this is this is part of the the benefit of establishing an honest relationship with people. Like usually I'm able to stay in touch with people even after I've written about them. And even if I've written critically about them. And um and so that lets me track how they're changing with the news events and, and how they're changing over time. Um, so for example, I wrote I wrote a, a big story about the Oath Keepers right before the election and the founder of the Oath Keepers. And then they've since then become the focus of the FBI's investigations into the attack on the US Capitol on January 6th. But I I'm making a point to continue to talk to them, continue to follow them. And I find it helps me keep my bearing as as things change and kind of keep keep my finger on what's happening. And then at the same time, you know, I'm always trying to diversify where my focus is. So every big news event or a big story that I do, I, I use that as a as an occasion to try to like reach out to new sources, to talk to people on the other side of it. Um, you know, if any reader ever sends me a message, use that follow up and see, you know, try to try to ask them some questions about what they're thinking. And so it's just it's just kind of like a a process in 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 a few different directions um, that that pretty much I have to keep up on a regular basis. So what do you hope that your project will contribute in terms of the national conversation with regard, obviously, to right-wing militancy in the U.S., but also even around stricter legislation for gun control and or anything else that, that you're covering? I, I want us to acknowledge the way that our wars overseas have affected us and the way that they've eroded the politics of the country and and just the way that we engage with the world and with one another uh, like I, I just i don't think that that we have that understanding and I, and i and i i feel like if we can just recognize that you know two decades of constant war and the agitation that foreign enemies has has created this environment where we're more likely to see enemies domestically i think we could just rec- reckon with that in some way you know, we can we can start to to get at like the deeper cause of, of a lot of the division and unrest that we're seeing. So as you embark on your fellowship project this year, where do you hope to be with it a year from now? I hope that a year from now I'm I'm even uh, more deeply embedded with the right wing militant groups that I've already covered, but that I also have uh, more experience with, with groups that I haven't yet. And I, I really hope I also have the occasion to to spend more time with groups on the left and try to see how they're mobilizing and, and how they're reacting to to what the right's doing. And I, you know, I hope I hope I have a documentary project in the works, and maybe maybe also even uh, the beginnings of of a book project on on these topics. Well, we're thrilled to support you this year and to see your work take shape. Thank you for your time, Mike. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, please visit newamerica.org slash fellows to access my other interviews with the class of 2022.